President Kanye West visited rapper Donald Trump in the White House yesterday, or possibly it was the other way around, but who knows since reality has clearly ceased to exist. In his signature dragon energy style, Kanye took the microphone from the leader of the free world, saying, I'm going to let you finish your term, Mr. President, but first I want to say that Beyonce had one of the greatest videos of all time. Trump agreed and immediately redressed the injustice by appointing Beyonce chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Then I woke up. Even in real life, the meeting of two of America's greatest something or others had a surreal quality to it. Kanye wore a MAGA hat and compared it to a Superman cape, which made perfect sense or no sense at all, since it's almost impossible now to tell the difference. Kanye also defended the Second Amendment, which made sense, though it made no sense that he was making sense, and the paradox tore a gigantic wormhole in the space-time continuum, causing reality to be sucked into itself. Then I woke up. Regaining consciousness, I saw the left in the news media, but I repeat myself, reacting to the A. Donald summit with its usual affable goodwill and principled integrity or violent hatred, racism, and hysteria, as we used to call it before we fell through the wormhole in my previous dream and language lost all meaning. Former DNC chairwoman Donna Brazil said, quote, and this is a real quote, assuming there's still such a thing as a real quote, Kanye West has set us back 155 years, unquote. Of course, she's right, and now it's just like it was back in slavery days when billionaire black men used to hug their friend the president, who had just finished improving the lives of all African Americans by virtually eliminating unemployment. Why not? Nothing is real anymore anyway. After Kanye's Oval Office appearance, black people throughout America suddenly realized that Trump was a great president. Then I woke up. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Clavin, and this is The Andrew Clavin Show. I feel hunky-dunky. Life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing. Hunky-dunky-dee-doo. Ship-shaped, ipsy-topsy. The world is a bitty zing. It's a wonderful day. Hurrah, hooray. It makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, hooray. Oh, hooray, hurrah. All right, it is mailbag day. And it is also another kingdom day. Oh, my. I don't know what that's screaming for anymore. You're screaming for another kingdom now. Hey, it's another kingdom day. And that means that season two, episodes one and two are now available for everyone to listen to. You can go on iTunes and listen. And if you do subscribe and rate it, give us five stars. That really, really helps us out. Episodes will be new episodes will be out on Monday for subscribers and on Friday for everybody. That's how it works. So come on in and listen and watch Another Kingdom Season 2. And uh, let us talk also about Bowl and Branch. You know, somebody asked me today, this is absolutely true, somebody said, how do you live without any sleep? And I said, I take naps while other people are expressing their opinions. But, But you know, the thing is, you don't need sleep if you've got Bowl and Branch sheets because they're so comfortable you just lie on them and that's all the rest you need. And you don't need to spend a fortune to get the rest. You get great sleep, starts with great right sheets, and they're more affordable than you think with Bowl and Branch. The right sleep sheets can take your sleep or your wakefulness and to the next level with Bowl and Branch, that upgrade has never been more affordable. 
you know, when you, these things just look great. They feel great. You wash them. They feel even better than they did before. They're just terrific. Each one of them crafted from 100% organic cotton, and that means Bowling Branch sheets not only feel incredible, but also look amazing. And since they sell exclusively online, you don't pay that expensive retail market half the price, twice the quality. Go to bowlandbranch.com today, and you'll get 50 bucks off your first set of sheets plus free shipping in the U.S. when you use the promo code CLAVEN. That's 50 bucks off plus free U.S. shipping right now at bowlandbranch.com, spelled B-O-L-L, and branch.com, promo code CLAVEN. bowlandbranch.com, promo code CLAVEN. So when you lie awake at night and ask yourself the big questions, like how do you spell CLAVEN, you'll know. It's K-L-A-V-A-N. You know, a lot of times here, I think, it is true, we pick on the left. I, I, I pick on the left. But today, you know, I'm looking at the country and where we are, and I want to say to the left today, I want to address anybody who's out there as a leftist or a Democrat, I want to say, keep doing what you're doing. Just keep it up. Keep attacking black people who have their own opinions. You know, just keep calling them Uncle Toms and minstrels and dumb Negroes. Keep right on with that, Democrats. I like it because I want all Americans to thrive. And I know black people are going to wake up one day and realize that in order to have your respect, they have to give up their intellectual freedom and personal independence. So just keep and, and keep the women too. keep calling the women gender traitors when they have their own opinions. You just keep telling them that their sons and their husbands don't deserve due process, the presumption of innocence. Just stick with it. Stick with it, Democrats. I love it. I love your style. I want everyone to live the life that they choose. And I know women are going to wake up and realize you're turning them into whining victims in order to gain control over their lives. So just and don't forget the gay folks. Do not forget the gay people. Keep telling them to strip their fellow Americans of their religious rights. Keep telling them to try and silence anyone who disapproves of them. Keep turning them into homo-fascists. And we on the right will just quietly collect the gay people who just want to be ordinary people, ordinary Americans, and be left alone like everybody else. So just keep at it. And don't forget the mobs. Don't forget the screaming and the mobs. Do not stop because I cannot destroy the credibility of your insidious anti-American philosophy single-handed, but you're doing a great job on your own. And let, let's take a look at Kanye West, the Kanye, the Yay Donald Summit. I have to talk about this. It is just amazing. The Kanye Summit and the reaction are both amazing. And listen, Kanye is a kooky artist guy. I'm not, I, he is, and you know, uh, who cares about celebrity endorsements and all this stuff, but he is a popular man, and he's also, he, he's obviously very kooky, and his music is not my music. I'm not going to pretend it is, but I was listening to him yesterday because it was a surreal meeting, this thing. He just went off on this kind of, he goes on these rants, and you know, you hardly know what he's saying. But in the middle of these rants, I started to hear what he was saying, and it actually was kind of moving, you know? It was actually kind of moving. And so he's sitting in the Oval Office with Jim Brown, the great football player, Jim Brown, and he goes off and he starts talking. Well, just listen to what he says. He's been wearing the MAGA hat, and everybody's attacking him for the MAGA hat. I think it's the bravery that helps you beat this game called life. You know, they try to scare me to not wear this hat, my own friends, but this hat, it gives me, it gives me power in a way. You know, my dad and my mom separated, so I didn't have a lot of male energy in my home. And also, uh, I'm married to a family that, um, you know, <laughs> not a lot of male energy going on. It's beautiful though, but there's times where, you know, it's something about, you know, I love Hillary, I love everyone, right? But the campaign, I'm with her, 
just didn't make me feel as a guy that didn't get to see my dad all the time, like a guy that could play catch with his son. It was something about when I put this hat on, it made me feel like Superman. You made a Superman, that was, that's my favorite superhero. And you made a Superman cape for me also as a guy. Made a Superman cape for me, so I felt like a man who plays catch with his sons because I didn't have that male energy in my life. I mean, that's a genu genuinely honest and transgressive thing to say. I mean, he is telling you that, the, you know, if, if anybody has stripped the black man of his manhood, it is the left. I mean, nobody on the right wants anything for black people but to have families, to be fathers, to be men in among men. That is what the right wants for the black man, you know, because because our idea is get rid of the race thing. The race thing is over. We got it. We get it. You know, this country had a major, major change of heart in the 60s, 50s and 60s. It, it had a major change of heart. It looked at its sins. It felt shame. It repented. It is now a different place, and we on the right say, yeah, let's, let, let's leave that behind. Everybody's for himself. Men be men. Women be women. Do it. That's great. Who is telling them to be that you are so helpless, you are dependent on our welfare? Who is t telling them, you know, oh, you can't, you know, you don't, you, white women don't need a man in the home. Women need a man like a fish needs a bicycle. Who's telling them that stuff? Who is putting their children at risk so that they wind up in prison and are taken off the streets and can no longer be part of the community? It's all on the left. Who's teaching them to quail at like, you know, microaggressions? What kind of a man, I'm sorry, but what kind of a man quails at microaggressions? Oh, Women get, are afraid when I walk into an elevator. That's your problem. That's your problem. Microaggressions are when men step on it, when men wipe off their shoes as they're going to accomplish the thing they want to accomplish in their life. And that's what he was talking about, that Trump gave him that feeling. Trump gave him the feeling of being a man. Now, let's listen to the reaction on MSNBC from, this is cut six, when they heard that, they were just absolutely shocked. Wow. Okay, I'm doing this for everybody who's watching us who turned their volume down. You can put it back up again. That but was if you think you're bonkers. going to get uh, uh, a thoughtful play-by-play -play and political analysis, you're not, because that was an assault on our White House. We're not. We're not. Uh, uh, we're, we're, you can't analyze some of that stuff that was said. Um, as we warned you at the top, uh, there was a little bit of profanity. We there was actually more than you heard. We we were able to bleep some of it out, uh, but there was uh, some of it did make it in there. Um, that was crazy. That was, that was bonkers. I mean, the things that, that uh, Kanye said. Uh, Can I go with my favorite? Yeah. How he talked about he had a lack of male role models uh, right. in his life growing up. Not and a lot reason, of male energy in his the house. The reason he, said. he was drawn to MAGA was because of the male power. When, when he put that cap on, he felt like a guy who could play catch with his. his, his because uh, he. They're laughing at him. He liked that male power. And we don't want any male power in here. We certainly don't want any father figures in the home. We don't want any strong men showing young men how to be men. We don't want that because that, oh, man, that ruins everything. It's all me, too. We're all victims. We're all victims. You know, it is it is amazing. This is what they're selling. And Kanye, of all people, has ripped the mask of them off them. You know, he has ripped the mask. It is now bare how racist they are, how sexist they are. You know, he was there to talk about prison reform and, you know, in his wandering, you know, monologue, he kind of hit on prison reform a little bit. And, and this is a big deal, prison reform, because it's something that conservatives can get on board with. Because back in the 70s and 80s, because of liberal legal transformations, li the liberal Supreme Court, liberal policing, this 
Big cities were a crime-infested jungle. You know, New York, I lived in New York during that time. You could not go outside without worrying about getting shot. You couldn't let your girlfriend or wife go outside without worrying she wasn't coming home. It was uh, miserable. It was miserable. And then Giuliani and other mayors brought in Comstat and brought in, uh, you know, no tolerance, zero tolerance policing. They called it that. It was really just making sure there weren't small crimes that led to bigger crimes. And the crime stopped. It was a crisis, and they ended the crisis, except in liberal cities like Chicago. They ended the crisis, but like everything, it had a price. It had a price. It put too many people in prison. It wasn't mass incarceration. It was enforcing the law and breaking the cycle that was leading our cities to become unlivable, like San Francisco and Portland are becoming unlivable today. But now, now that the crisis has passed, it is time to think about the cost. When you take a young man off the streets... You may be punishing a criminal, but you're also taking away a father, a brother, a son. You're taking him out of school. You're taking him away from work. So now it's time to think, is there something else we can do? Is there some way we can rehabilitate people? Is there some way we can start to negotiate with these people? Because a lot of these neighborhoods have been cleaned up and the crime is low. We can start to think about that. It's good. So anyway, Kanye did hit on this at one point where he starts starts talking about uh, racism. So his number 13. With blacks and African-Americans, we really get caught up in the idea of racism over the idea of industry. We say if people don't have land, they settle for brands. We want uh, polo sporting Obama again. We want a brand more than we want land because we haven't known how it feels to actually have our own land and have ownership of our own blocks. So when you don't have ownership, then it's all about how something looks. It's about the patina, it's not about the soil, it's not about the core. So we focus more on, is somebody wearing something, is someone disrespecting me so I gotta, I gotta shoot them? Or the idea of someone being racist. You know, we talk about uh, police uh, uh, murders, which we definitely have to discuss and we have to uh, bring nobility to the, to the police officers and make the police officers are just like us. But this is this whole hate building, right? And that's a, a major thing about racial tension. And we also, as black people, we have to take a responsibility for what we're doing. Once again, that was kind of, you know, when you don't have land, you need a brand. I mean, that was kind of profound. I'll get to that, back to that in just a minute. First, I want to talk about 23andMe. This is one of those things, those services where you spit in the test tube and they take a look at your DNA and tell you, you know, what they can tell you about uh, your traits. And also you can find out people that you're related to. I, I just want to say this was I did it. It was incredibly fun. It is incredibly fun. I found out I was a Swedish midget, but I, no, I, I just made that part up. But no, it's easy to do. You spit in the tube. They send you this kit. Even I could do it. You spit in the tube and then you uh, you mail your saliva sample back to them. And then they just send you an email and it tells you certain traits that you're more likely to have. It tells you uh, people that you might not know you were related to who have put this. And all of this, you can do it all. You can say, I don't want this information. I don't want that. Or I do want this. You know, you organize it. It is, it is made for you. But it could just tell you all these really cool things about yourself. And it's, it, you know, it's not it's not going to tell you everything, but it tells you stuff that, that is really fun and interesting to know. You can order your 23andMe health and Ancestry Service Kit at 23andMe.com slash Clavin. That's the number, 23andMe.com slash Clavin. And they'll send you a report that tells you, the first thing it tells you, how do you spell Clavin? It's K-L-A-V-A-N, 23andMe. What he was saying there, what Kanye was saying there was actually profound. If you don't have land, you need a brand. So in other words, if you, they, all they offer you is identity, 
instead of instead of accomplishment and you know being somebody and doing something in the world and that's what he's talking about i think it makes perfect sense so now we have to listen then he hugged the president that's the thing that drove everybody crazy play that is very short clip play that you said, I guess you know I loved you. I know. Did, did I, did but I don't want to take, I don't want to put you in that spot. But. No, I'm, I'm standing in that spot. I love this guy right here. Let me give this guy <laughs> a hug right here. I love this really, guy right that's here. Really, yeah. 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 That's really nice. And that's from the heart. I didn't want to put you in that position. Yeah, but, but that's from the heart. Special guy. That's These two are special people. I love that. It's Trump saying, I didn't want to put you in the, that position. You know, Shapiro's like that, too. You know, there are plenty of famous people who wander in there. And Shapiro says, keep your head down. You don't have to tell people you like me because it'll cost you. And that's what Trump was saying to him there. That was the moment. That's the thing that drove them nuts. So let's go over to CNN, where Tweedledum and Tweedled even stupider were, were talking about this. I got to go. I got to go to Chris Cuomo first, because that was maybe one of the that may win some kind of Emmy for one of the stupidest moments on television. Do we have that cut? My curiosity wasn't about what came out of Kanye's mouth. My wonder went to what was going on in Trump's head. Let's take a look at him. Here's my educated guess, okay? Other than a warm serotonin flush of happy hormone, imaginary headlines, blacks love Trump. He's blacker than Obama. I certainly agree. This is a cartoonish situation. But look at Trump here yet again. Yeah, Superman, sure I am. I can do anything. I can save people. I wonder if images of Hurricane Michael came into his head then. The people that do need saving. And here he is doing this. <laughs> Chris Cuomo reporting from inside the head of the president, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, I, I, this is Chris Cuomo. I'm inside the head of the president reading his mind. I've got, uh, yes, I've got some racist thoughts going on. What the hell is he talking about? But if that's not stupid enough and you want some hate, you got to go to Don Lemonhead. Could check him out. What I saw was a minstrel show today. Him in front of all of these white people, mostly white people, embarrassing himself. And embarrassing Americans, but mostly African Americans, because every, every one of them is sitting either at home or with their phones watching this cringing. I couldn't even watch it. I had to turn the television off because it was so hard to watch. Him sitting there being used by the President of the United States, the President is exploiting him and, I don't mean this in a disparaging way, exploiting someone who needs help, who needs to back away from the cameras, who needs to get off stage, who needs to deal with his issues. What a racist piece of garbage this guy is. That is so right. He really is awful. You know, it's the whole thing. But, you know, one of the reasons I hope that Trump brings more black people into the conservative fold is is because, you know, we do want to hear from them. We do want to know, like, what is is going on. We, we're, I'm perfectly willing to accept that in, there are some ways in which the life of a black guy in America is different than the life of a white guy. I'm really willing to accept that. And if there are problems, we want to offer conservative solutions. But what we don't want to do, what we do not want to do is turn people into victims, make people dependent, and make people lock them into a philosophy because of the color of their skin. That is incredibly racist. I have to play this thing. There's a guy, uh, I think his, he pronounces his name Ami. I may have that wrong. It's Ami Horowitz. And he does a man on the street thing. He went to Berkeley, the, where, I was, where I graduated, the UC Berkeley. And he interviewed white liberals about why Voter ID laws are racist. Young white liberals, he asks them why voter ID laws are racist. And then halfway through this, he goes to Harlem and asks black people about it. It is an amazing, revelatory video. Listen to this. 
Do you think that's harder for black people to go online? Well, I feel like they don't have the knowledge of how, of like, how it works. A lot of people have smartphones, but you might not have data. For most of the communities, they don't really know what is out there just because they're not aware or like right. they're not informed. I also think there's a repression of like black voting with um, how they, how if you're a convicted felon, like you're not allowed to vote and everything. And when you look at swing states like Florida, that's a huge population of the of the like African Americans. Now I'm here in East Harlem to ask black people their thoughts on what you just heard. Do you have ID normally? You carry ID around? Yes, I have state ID. Do you carry ID? Yes, I do. Do you know anybody who any black person doesn't carry ID? No. Everyone that I know has an ID. Why would they think we don't have ID? <laughs> That's a lie. Why would you say that? Do you have ID? Yes. Because I have my ID and my friends have their ID, so like we know what we need to carry around. Everybody that I know have ID. Like that's one of the things you need to walk around with New York with. <laughs> I mean, that is what, let me, you know, this has been created. This didn't happen accidentally. This was created by the media. This was created by the Democrat Party. This is not an accidental thing. You know, they're telling, they're telling people, you know, black people are dumb. They're poor. They're primitive. They can't handle anything. They don't know how to work the internet. It's like, you know, it's like they never met anybody. It is like they never met anybody with a different color skin. That is where it comes from, this condescension, this, and, and, you know, it is, it is just, it is all on one side. If, if, if more black people came over and became conservatives, they would find free, you know, answers to problems that might be in their community that include their freedom, their independence, their right to free thought and respect and respect for them as individuals, as individuals, not as black people, because who cares if you're black or white is respect for you as an individual. Add to this this mob thing. I have to read, you know, we've been talking about this thing in Portland and we've, I've just seen videos of it. But today, uh, a, an editor from Quillette, is that how you pronounce Quillette? I cannot pronounce this guy's name. It's Andy N-G-O. That is his name. N-G-O, I guess. Go. Yeah. But he is an editor at Quillette and he wrote a piece for the Wall Street Journal about the leftist mob in Portland where he lives. And he says they, they invited people to attend a protest because this 27-year-old black father of three was murdered by the racist Portland police. Okay. So people have turned up for this and they started. And by the way, the guy who was killed by the Portland police had already apparently killed, allegedly killed two other people. So it was like a shootout. It was not like some kind of evil thing. And they're out there shouting, stop racist police terror, throw all cops in the trash. And they make their, they make their way to the courthouse and they marched in the middle of the street, bringing traffic to a stop. They got a 74 year old man. This is the video that keeps, that's been playing a 74 year old man. They tried to stop his car and he stepped out and was assaulted by the mob. They pushed him and smashed his car with clubs after he managed to get back inside the vehicle. No police were in sight, even though the central precinct was blocks away. Uh, Portland Resistance, a local social justice group, put out a call on Twitter asking for the public to identify this white man. And they uh, they published photos of him and his license plate with the message, make racists afraid again. This guy is not a racist. He was just trying to get through this mob. The guy says, I've lived here my whole life, but I don't want to go downtown anymore. The mob later occupied a busy intersection. Uh, and when a middle-aged man driving a car with North Carolina plates stopped in confusion, the agitators descended on him. You little white effer shouted one of course, white man, you are a little white supremacist. Go back to North Carolina where you came from. This is the mob taking over Portland, Portland, Oregon, which used to be a lovely city. The crowd targeted other drivers. You're lucky you didn't hit me. I would have beat you up, yelled a demonstrator at another driver. One person punched the back of a passing car. Now, a block away, 
Here's the thing. A block away, police officers looked on. They watched this. Why didn't they respond? He, Andy and Ingo uh, contacted the department and they told him in a statement, it feared intervention would change the demeanor of the crowd for the worse. So the police wouldn't do anything. He says such lawlessness is increasingly typical here. So keep it up, lefties. We love this on the right. We want people to see who you are. We want them to rip up. You know, the RNC is a new ad about this. Uh, Cut number nine, where they just show you, because it's not just the mob. It's not just the man on the street. It's the people at the top urging them on. Here's their ad. They go low, we kick And if you see anybody in a restaurant, in a department store, gasoline station, you get out and you create a crowd, and you push back on them, and you tell them they're not welcome. I just don't even know why there aren't uprisings all over the country, maybe there will be. You cannot be civil with a political party that wants to destroy what you stand for, what you care about. Get up and please get up in the face of some Congress people. Is this the quote unquote mob? You know, the thing is, it says the left, an unhinged mob. The thing is, that's a fair ad, and there's no moral equivalence. You know, our friends over at Campus Reform, we love these guys. Cabot Phillips goes out and he does these campus, uh, you know, man-on-the-street interviews. He went out and offered 100 bucks to anybody who could name a time when conservatives had tried to stop leftists from speaking. Listen to this. I'll give you $100 if you can give an example of conservative students on a campus shutting down a liberal speaker. $100. Off the top of my head. UTA campus? Any campus. Any campus. Um, I'm not too aware. Yeah, I'd, I'm going to lose that $100 because <laughs> I can't. Um, um, no, I don't think I can. <laughs> I wish I could, but no. That's, that's amazing. So keep it up, lefties. Look, I've gone a little long, but I want to end with one more thing. In the room with Kanye West was Jim Brown, one of the great, greatest football players of all time. And he came out afterwards, and they asked him about the whole football thing with kneeling for the flag. And I want you to listen to this man's answer, because this is the answer. This is the answer to the left with their, you're a black man, you're a woman, you're a man. You know, this, this identity politics built constructed to tear us apart, to set us at each other so they can get power while we're fighting among ourselves. That's the whole point of identity politics. It is racism with a smiling face. That's all it is. It's racism with a smiling face meant to divide us like all racism is meant to divide people so the powerful can seize power. That is what racism is for. That is why people instigate it in people. That's why guys like Putin sell it against the Jews. That is why they sell it against white men on the left. That's all racism is. It is just a means of going into your mind, using your prejudices to turn you against your neighbor so they can seize power. Listen to Jim Brown's response to whether people should be kneeling uh, and disrespecting the flag. Well, I can be very blunt about taking a knee. See, first of all, I'm an American. That flag is my flag. The things that I've overcome in this country allows to make me a better person. I don't think that we should take knees in protests instead of standing up for our flag. 
I think we should work out our problems as a family. And that's what I would advocate to my children, to all the young people that I deal with. I am an American. That flag is my flag. And I want to represent it that way. You bet it's your flag, Jim Brown. You bet it's your flag. I mean, everybody, this country, I don't care what anybody says, this country was built by people of a thousand different colors and is being built right now by people of even more colors than before. We are meant to be, he is absolutely right, we are meant to be the American family and the left does nothing but turn us against each other because the price, their price of their identity politics is you lose your individuality, you lose your freedom, you lose what it means to be an American. So keep it up, lefties, because Americans are smart. They will figure it out. We got the mailbag coming up. I got to say goodbye to Facebook and YouTube. Come on over to thedailywire.com and subscribe. We got uh, the live streaming of uh, Another Kingdom Season 2, Episodes 1 and 2. And now it's it will be out there for everybody to listen to. So everybody should listen to it. Come on. Come on. Pitch in. All right. Come on over for the mailbag. All right, the mailbag. <laughs> Every time I hear it, I think about that truck veering off the road. That's why we play it. We play it to kill drivers. Uh, from Heidi Red Kewitz. I don't know. You know, I recognize that name. Heidi Red Kewitz. I know her. She's, she, I know her from Twitter. She is, uh, uh, she wrote a book called Honeymoon in Baghdad uh, as she served in the army in Iraq and met her husband in Iraq. And so they had a love affair in Iraq. And uh, now she is uh, raising a family. And uh, so, yeah, that's uh, that's really funny. I just recognized the name as I saw it. Um, hello, Supreme Overlord Clavin. And see, she knows my proper name. That's uh, We've heard the Democratic politicians, this is about the mob, tell their voters to do whatever it takes in order to win. Many of them have called for violence. And we've seen it firsthand with these angry mobs. If Republicans win and take over the House and Senate, do you think the left will become even more violent? And at what point do conservatives say enough is enough? Uh, conservatives seem quite calm and mellow when provoked. There has to be a point where we break. I understand we need to be civil. We're the party of values and morals, but we also can't be a punching bag for these guys. If the left becomes more violent after the elections, how do you see this playing out for us? All right. Well, this is a two-part question. First of all, no. In, in, in one sense, there will be a faction that becomes more violent. But if if they lose the midterms, the politicians are going to realize that by playing to their base, they have lost the country. And once they realize that, the politicians, I think, will start to move, become a little bit more central and move back away from these people who are alienating the rest of the country. I mean, that is what happened when, uh, you know, when Nixon in the 60s, there was all the same thing, the violence, the riots and all this. And Nixon just won like every every vote in America. They got rid of him by other means, but he won the electorate. The people who the Democrats who came after that, guys like Jimmy Carter and Bill Clinton, were in fact more centrist than they represented because they were Southerners. They had more uh, sense of tradition and all that stuff. So that's what I think will happen to the party. They will realize the resistance has failed. A small group, a small group and a continually dwindling group will continue to be violent and possibly more violent. And look, in, as, in terms of our reaction, we have the right to self-defense. You don't have the right to go out and anticipate that they're going to do something wrong and cause violence in return on principle. You do not have that right. And it would be just as destructive to our side as what they're doing is destructive to their side. But you always have the right to self-defense. You do have the right, if you're swarmed by this mob, to fight back. And you certainly have the right to insist that the police protect you. It has never worked for the police to stand by and do nothing. That never works. And I, that idea is always very suspect to me. So I think, listen, I think a victory for the right 
in the midterms, a full-on House and Senate victory would be a good thing because it would wake the resistance up to the fact that, as Ann Coulter would say, resistance is futile. Uh, from Samantha, hi, Andrew. Are there any red flags you think women should look for when they first meet a man? What a great question. Uh, well, look, there are plenty of obvious ones, right? You want them to have a job, or if you're in college, you want them to have very uh, decided goals. You want them to be a driven person, an ambition per- ambition ambitious person. You want them to show up for the date on time. You want them to be polite. Uh, you want them not to talk the whole time. You know, these are, I, I think I shouldn't have to say this stuff. I hope you already know this. Uh, you, you want them to try to take his time to get to know you before he tries to jump on your bones, right? You know, it's like the, the, the other things, I mean, maybe more subtle things that people don't know. Uh, you should definitely watch to make sure how he treats people uh, who he may be a you know, have more power than like waiters in restaurants, uh, like the valet who takes his car. If you're living in LA, we have valets who you take your car. You know, you want to see how he treats those people because that's very, very important. Uh, you want to make sure that he takes responsibility for things. If he's telling you a story about something that's gone wrong in his life and it's all somebody else's fault, you know, and the one really strange one, and I hesitate to say this, you take this with a grain of salt, but if the guy is just too perfect, you know, shows up at the flowers, pulls out your seed, opens the door. Guy should do all those things, in my opinion. But if the guy is absolutely perfect, you want to watch that he's not moving in on you too fast. He's not a stalker because stalkers present that way. I know I don't want to I don't want to make you suspicious of every polite, lovable guy who comes into your uh, ken. But just just watch out. That is a thing that happens that people that stalkers play you uh, by just being absolutely perfect perfect in every possible way. So that's just one thing to look out for. But, you know, the the more normal ones, the job, making sure he's nice to waiters and all that stuff, those are things you can look for. Uh, from Carlos, Supreme Chancellor Clavin, uh, Jordan Peterson, he calls him the Internet's dad. I thought I was the Internet's dad. Uh, Dr. Jordan Peterson made a controversial statement that I personally find to be fair. He said Kavanaugh should step down now that he earned his seat to prove humility, save his name, and help heal the national divide surrounding him. It seems very much in the brand of Christian self-sacrifice for the greater good. I'm neither for nor against this idea, but I also think people are really treating Peterson unfairly for this one. Your thoughts? People did jump on uh, Jordan for this. Uh, I t- completely disagree with him about it. I completely think it's, it is... Uh, it is a what? What is it? Uh, Milton said that strain is a, is of a higher tune. I can't. Oh, I can't remember. But it was too high. He was aiming too high there. This was a hard-fought battle, an important victory against mob rule, an important victory for the process. I think when you get those victories, you should take the ter- keep the territory that you took. I do not think that gesture would have been received with anything but viciousness from the left. I think the left has to learn that its techniques are not going to work. However. There's nothing wrong with disagreeing with somebody. You don't have to jump on the guy because you disagree with him. I did see some stuff that was harsh and mean. You know, it's like we love Jordan. He's doing great stuff and he's interesting, uh, has interesting things to say. And we disagree with him. That, you know, that, that shouldn't be, it shouldn't be that hard. It shouldn't be that hard. You don't have to, you don't need a be- baseball bat to disagree with someone. You just say, yeah, I disagree. Love you, but, you know, you're, I respect you. But with respect, I disagree. So I did disagree with him on that. Um, from Dave, all hail Clavin, supreme leader of the multiverse. Thank you. I, I shouldn't, you know, have to say thank you because it's just owed. But in your work, both as an artist and as a commentator, have you ever seriously struggled with overcoming self-doubt? Uh, since your work as a novelist requires you to expose your creative ideas to criticism and your work as a political commentator also requires you to expose your intellectual ideas to criticism, how do you manage to tune out the internal voice that tells you your novel might not be good enough and your arguments may be flawed? This is something I regularly struggle with, and I would suspect that your diverse career may have given you a unique vantage point on the subject. 
I am bizarrely equipped with a complete indifference to how people I disrespect regard me, okay? That is not to say when, you know, we, my wife and I have a system. When I write a book, I give it to my wife, she tells me what's wrong with it, I yell at her, and then I do what she said. You know, that's, that's the thing. I have to get angry first. Well, what do you mean? What do you mean? It's perfect. It's perfect. And then I just figure she's a great editor, so I make most of the changes uh, she wants. You, you know, but I, I do have a remarkable capacity to ignore the opinions of people I disrespect, which is a lot of the people who disagree with me. I feel very, you know, I, I don't disrespect everyone who disagrees with me. I disrespect people who don't have the principles that I believe are, in fact, principles, right? If you're out there mobbing people, if you're out there calling people names, if you're out there, you know, uh, saying that a black person is a minstrel uh, because he doesn't uh, tow your party line, I do not have any respect for you. I don't care what you think of me. I really don't. I mean, I really have that feeling. However, however, I hate to make mistakes. I hate it. I've come on here a couple of times and got something factually wrong, and I hate that. I hate it when I, you know, like everybody, I don't like to have to change my opinion, but I will do it, and I don't consider it weakness. And you know, not every book I've written is as good as every other book. I'm aware of that. You know, sometimes you know when you finish something that's as good as it's going to be. Uh, you know, these are the things you live with. I think, I think the advantage I have and the one thing that can be taught and can be learned is I'm not a perfectionist. I work like a perfectionist. I work over every sentence, every word I write. I work over everything I do. I come in here, I do so much prep just to come in and talk to you for a few minutes. You know, I do a lot of prep and work. But I understand there will be errors, there will be slips, there will be things that are imperfect, and I live with that. So I, I don't know if that helps. I do have a weird personality about this. I do have a very, very thorny uh, outer sphere that keeps me from being devastated by criticism. Um, from John, I have a classic question with a bit of a twist. I have very good in-laws, but my father-in-law and I see very differently on politics and current events. We'll debate, and as soon as actual facts data gets brought up, he closes off and says, I don't want to talk about this anymore. So he's a leftist. Uh, fair enough. I'm used to that. My wife and mother-in-law have encouraged no more debate, which is probably for the best. But when we visit, they put on left-wing news or late-night comedians, and then my father-in-law vocally agrees with how Republicans are stupid or how Trump is horrible. And the second I say anything, it's no, no, we aren't debating. We get along great outside of this, but I'm at the point where I don't want to visit them anymore. And I'll be tempted to just stay at a hotel with my wife, which makes her sad, rightfully so. Can you suggest anything that will help? I know I won't be able to change his mind, but this is getting tiresome. It is tiresome and it's rude. And I think you have to sit down with him and have a civilized, polite conversation where you don't discuss the issues. You start out with, look, we disagree. I respect your opinions. I understand that you see things from a different point. And it's, I don't want to debate with you. Fine. No debates. But it also is painful and unfair when you do this thing, when you put on these comedians and say Republicans are stupid. And then when I respond, you say we can't debate. So how about having a little bit of sensitivity toward me and I'll have a little bit of sensitivity toward you? You can have that discussion because I think, you know, a lot of times, especially on the left, they do not hear themselves. They do not know what they're doing. They're so certain that they're right, that they don't understand that they're actually making a, a, a political point. They think they're just speaking the truth. I think you should have that conversation with them because it would be a shame if, uh, you know, this tore up your family relations. Um, from Zachary, dear Lord Clavin, I know your advice is guaranteed to work, so I was hoping you could help me. I'm currently an engineering student at a large public university. This semester, I'm six hours away doing a cooperative education program at a job in my field. 
What I thought would be a good educational opportunity has turned into a nightmare as my boss is unapproachable and is a terrible mentor who treats me like I'm an inferior being. The whole situation has left me constantly tired and depressed. I have no motivation to do anything. Even getting out of bed is a nightmare for me. I have not felt happy in a while and it is hard to find help as my friends are so far away. It sucks because I fought so hard to get out of that hole I was in and now I am right back in it. How should I go about dealing with my work the next few months? Um... And do you have any tips on helping me find happiness and feeling like the person I was before? The, you know, this is, I'm, I'm a little bit, uh, this is a little bit strange to me. First, uh, quit. I mean, if, there's, if you can, quit the job. There's no reason for you to be tormented. If you can't quit the job, if you can't quit the job, then you're going to have to regard it as a test of your valor and inner strength. Get out of bed. Make sure you exercise. Don't drink too much. Make sure you get plenty of exercise and activity and steal your mind. I mean, make yourself realize that you are under attack by a bad boss Steal your mind. It's only a few more months and don't let the depression take you or anything like that. I mean, if, if you can quit, quit. There's no reason for you to be tortured. If you can't quit, if there are good and certain reasons why you shouldn't quit, then take it as a test. Say, I have got to be the guy who walks through this thing with my shoulders back, with my head held high and with dignity. And I don't get depressed and I make it through. And that's where you have to take it, uh, take it like that. The only thing that really stopped me in this mail, mail was where you said, um, it sucks because I fought so hard to get out of that hole I was in, and now I'm right back in it. So it sounds like maybe you're prone to depression or you've suffered from depression before, uh, and that's a whole other matter. That is something you might want to have looked at. You might want to get some counseling about that. If you are prone to depression, you might want to find out what the cause of that is because it may be go beyond what you're in right now. Let me take one more uh, from McKay. Uh, I am a conservative woman, a wife, a stepmom, and a nurse. One of the rain, main reasons I'm a conservative is the emphasis on individual freedoms. Freedom. Uh, however, many conservatives lump women into the mother category. I love caring for my patients, being the one who cooks meals, cares for the home, and my stepchildren. So clearly I'm a nurturing person, but I've always known that I don't want children of my own. And I have been told condescendingly that I will change my mind or that I just don't get it. I've taken a lot of time to truly examine why I don't want children. And I've always come to the same conclusion. I respect the sacrifice men, women make to be mothers, and I honor that. It's just not for me. So my question is, how can I reconcile being a conservative woman and not wanting to be a mom uh, to many conservatives, that is just wrong. I would never become a liberal. But one thing liberals are saying that conservatives are not a, is that a woman has value, even if she is not a mother. I, I, you know, I don't know what conservatives are telling you. You don't have value if you're not a mother. It's garbage. I mean, that's ridiculous. That is not what conservatives believe. What conservatives believe is that you have you should live your own life, live as an individual. You know, when I when I attack feminism, one of the reasons I attack feminism is that I think a majority of women want different things than men. They want, they want, are more focused on relationships. They're more focused on the home. They're more, they want children and they want to take care of those children, be around for those children. I think a lot of women want that in their hearts, but are being talked out of it by feminism. However, what does that say about you? Absolutely nothing. It says absolutely nothing about the Jane or, you know, uh, Debbie or Rose. You know, it doesn't say anything about her. She has her own life and her own desires, and she may not fit into that category, which is absolutely fine. You may want to work 100 hours, you know, a day. Whatever you want to do is absolutely fine. The only reason I attack feminists is I feel that they limit your choices, not because I, under the guise of giving you choices, I feel they're actually denigrating motherhood, denigrating homemaking, denigrating being 
being a wife, which I think give a lot of women joy and pleasure and should be, you know, one of the choices available to people. But nobody should tell you what you want personally. What you want personally is entirely up to you and you have value in and of yourself. You're obviously a tremendously valuable person taking care of stepchildren, nursing. You know, you're obviously a hugely valuable person and no conservative who is a thinking conservative uh, would tell you that you need to have your own children. That's absolutely ridiculous. If it's your mom, then you may hear that. I mean, I can't, I can't help you with that because moms want grandchildren. But, you know, in, as, in terms of conservative philosophy, the only thing I want for you as a conservative is for you to live your best life uh, free and, complete, and la- letting other people be free as well. All right, we got to get the stuff I like. All right, listen, you uncivilized heathens, you, 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 you punks. I'm going to take my stuff and I'm going to jam it so far up your stuff. You're going to have stuffing coming out your stuff for days or weeks or months. And you're going to like it. What the hell was that? <laughs> We're looking for a theme song here. What the, what on earth was that? <laughs> like, I think you guys have gotten, gone crazy. <laughs> it's time for us to pick a theme song. <laughs> <laughs> that was Chris Hines. All right, I got to do this quickly. I saw a movie called Three Identical Strangers. Uh, it is a documentary. It is now available. I got it on pay-per-view with Spectrum. Uh, you can pro- I'm sure you can get it on Amazon Prime as well. Um, here's, here's the trailer, which gives you an idea what it's about. I wouldn't believe the story if someone else were telling it, but it's true. Every word of it. It started when I went to college. It was the first day of school. All these people are coming up to me saying, Eddie, how are you? Eddie, hi. I'm like, my name's not Eddie. I don't know what you're talking about. As soon as this guy turned around, I knew it was Eddie's double. I said, you're not going to believe this. You have a twin brother. Oh, my God. As I reached out to knock on the door, it opens. And there I am. His eyes are my eyes, my eyes are his eyes, and it's true. And then the story went from being amazing to incredible. It was an article to Twins Reunited. I think I might be the third. When people ask me what is the most remarkable story you ever encountered, I tell them it's the story of the triplets. So now you think you know what the movie's about, right? Here was my experience. I watched this with my wife. And I'm sitting there at this point, when you get to this point where these three guys have been reunited, which happens like 10 minutes into the film, I said, wow, that's an amazing story. 20 minutes later, I said, wow, this is an amazing story. 30 minutes later, I went, are you kidding me? This is the most amazing story I have ever heard. This is an incredibly amazing story. It is touching. It is, uh, it's just really, really moving. And it's, it's kind of, it's about nature versus nurture, but it's also about the way the powerful uh, treat people, the way the powerful treat people with less power. It is an amazing uh, tale and just a, a very human and very rich and very deep. And I really recommend it. It's only like an hour and 40 minutes, an hour, 30 minutes, something like that. Uh, and uh, just a really rich and deep story. The documentary filmmaker is named Tim Wardle, and I think he did a great, great job. And Lawrence Wright, the journalist, is in it, who is a terrific journalist, and he plays a, a major role in the story. But I'm telling you, what you just saw, which is unbelievable, is just the beginning. It's just the first plot point, and then it just gets uh, wilder and wilder, and it's all true. Again, tune in today at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific for a special live stream of Another Kingdom Season 2, Episodes 1 and 2. And after that, 
They'll all be free for you to listen to. You can go on and subscribe, I think, on iTunes as well. You can subscribe on iTunes. Uh, but please subscribe and watch the whole thing. You, it's, so, it's so beautiful to look at. You get to see Knowles. And what could be more beautiful than looking at Michael Knowles? But also, it helps us if you, if you subscribe and you're part of the team, uh, helping us cr- create not just commentary, but now culture as well, which we all need. Go see the Gosnell movie this weekend. Pick up my uh, uh, great, greatest mystery, best mystery stories of 2018. I'm in there as well. Support your conservative culture because I am your conservative culture. I'm it. I am, I am conservative culture. And we will see you again. No Clavenless weekend because you're going to be listening to Another Kingdom and watching Gosnell and buying that book. I'm Andrew Claven. I'll see you here on Monday. This is The Andrew Claven Show. The Andrew Claven Show is produced by Robert Sterling. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Technical producer, Austin Stevens. Edited by Alex Zingaro. Audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Alvera. And our animations are by Cynthia Angulo and Jacob Jackson. The Andrew Claven Show is a Daily Wire forward publishing production. Copyright forward publishing 2018.